Hi there. Welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy that you tuned in. Please join us today as we continue our series through the book of Matthew. Hey, welcome to Branch's Online Worship. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors at Branch Life Church. And man, we are thrilled to have you connect with us on this special day. We're right in the middle of our Stories for Skeptics series. And we're going to tell you another one of these stories that will make all the difference in your spiritual journey if you hang on and stay with us today. Hey, thanks for logging in and being a regular part of this worship. And for those of you that are connecting regularly with us, man, it's great to have you connecting in this way. You may start to notice some changes in the weeks ahead. We're going to begin live streaming and using our live stream recordings for this time. And so we want to invite you to join us as we begin this live streaming process. There'll be a period of time here where there's a little bit of back and forth. Uh, you may see the pre-recording, you may see the live stream, but we hope, hope to make that transition full in the next couple of weeks. And maybe even right now, if you're watching live on Sunday morning uh, here on Facebook, you might be able to see the live stream on YouTube or at our website at branchlife.church, where you can go anytime to catch up on any of these discussions. If you haven't seen our Stories for uh, Skeptics series yet, uh, you can go catch up anytime at our YouTube channel. Just subscribe there or on our website under the sermon tab. Hey, thanks to everybody who gives on a regular basis through our online giving. Uh, you guys have been super encouraging to us, and God is using uh, your gifts in a mighty and powerful way all around our region and to build his kingdom. So thank you guys so much for doing that. You can do it anytime at branchlife.church slash give. We're going to jump into the series. So for those of you that regularly connect with us, if you have your Matthew journal, uh, go to page 72 or Matthew chapter 13 in your Bibles. And if you want a journal, make sure you fill out your connection card online before you log off today. Let us know that you'd like one of these journals in that comment section and we'll mail one out to you as soon as possible. So let's dive in today to our worship and to our learning time. And again, thanks for being with us. We hope that this strengthens your connection to Christ so together we can reach our world. Let me tell you a story. There was a time when Jesus was speaking to the Apostle Peter. Let me tell you a story. 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 Te voy a contar una historia. There was a time when when Jesus was sitting down with people to eat. There was a time when Jesus was in the temple. There was a time when an expert in the Old Testament stood up to test Jesus. And he told him this story. All right, guys, grab your journals. If you're following along in your Matthew journal, we're on page 72, and uh, we'll be in this area today. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 13, and we're diving into our next story for skeptics in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. Remember, we are looking at these stories about Jesus or told by Jesus, and we're in a section of stories that Jesus calls parables. And he's telling these stories to a crowd that has come around him. And today, he's going to talk all about one of the biggest problems in this world. He's going to talk about who's in charge. And it's going to make a huge impact in our lives. And he's telling these parables or these kingdom stories because he wants revolution. 
He wants to blow your mind. He wants to expand your horizons. He wants you to change allegiance from being a follower of the kingdoms of this world to being a part of the kingdom of God. And if God is real and if God is our king and if God has a kingdom, then we should seriously consider being a part of that. These stories help connect us to that. So in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24, he tells us the story of the weeds. And let's just grab right, jump right into this and grab out the story for us. He put another parable in verse 24 before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who has sowed good seed in his fields. But while men were sleeping, his men were sleeping, the enemy comes in and he sows weeds among the wheat. And then he went away. So when the plants grew up and they bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How does it also have weeds? And he said to them, The enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Ah, we've got an idea. Then do you want us to go and gather the weeds? But he, the master, said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. So let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers to go and gather the weeds for the, for the first fruit and to bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat and put that into my barn. He put another parable for him saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that the man took and sowed in his field. And it's the smallest of seeds but when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and they make their nests and branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a leaven that the woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was leavened. It was like yeast that then rose the bread. Man, these three, power, these three parables are our stories for skeptics today. These are the parable of the weeds, the seeds, and the bread. And they all connect us to the kingdom of God. And here's the claim. Here's the claim that's being made, right? Here's, here's what he wants you to see and wants you to understand. And again, this is, this is mind-blowing, all right? This is radical. This is transformational. This is why Jesus died on the cross. This is why he was killed, because people went after him because of these stories. And here's the claim. He says in this, these stories that God's master plan is always better than my master plan. God's master plan is always better than my master plan. And here's a thought for you today. And here's what I want you to walk away with when all is said and done. One, do I not only want you to realize that God's master plan is better, I want you to be thankful that he's in charge. I want you to be excited about this. No matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, this is some incredibly good news today. This story and the stories that we just read are heavy stories. They carry some, some deep, hard truths. But overriding all of that is this amazing truth that God's master plan is always better than my plans. Man, do we have a hard time living that out. We like to be in charge. We like to make our plans. We like to organize things the way that we see that. But in just a moment, we're going to see why we need to be so thankful that God has a master plan that's always better than ours. You see, 
He told these stories, and this story about the weed, the story about the mustard seed, these stories were told to a crowd that totally got what he was doing. They were all from a farming culture. The first story that we looked at last week was about the, the four hearts and the seeds landing in the different kinds of soil. Here he comes back in with another picture of the master farmer, the master planter who, who sows his seeds and someone comes in and sows weeds or seeds for weeds so that their crop will be ruined. This was often done by a competitor. Somebody in that day, somebody in that culture who wanted to destroy uh, the competition so that they could sell more of their wheat, so that they could get a corner on the market. This was happening so often in Roman culture that there was actually a rule against it. There was a law. If found guilty, you were punished. You were put in jail or you were even killed. So this was something that everyone got right away. And the question always then was, if you were the farmer whose land got attacked, what would you do? How would you respond to it? We saw the servants coming up saying, we'll do it, we'll take care of it, we'll go row by row, and even though they've grown up together, we'll pull them out. The farmer says, no, 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 let them grow together until the harvest, and the harvest will separate them, the weeds will be burned, and the wheat will be moved into the house, the storehouse. Man, that, that's the story that's happening. Now, if you're listening to this, then he talks about the mustard seed growing from a tiny seed to the biggest tree, and then the, the bread with the little bit of leaven causing it to rise. What's he talking about? I mean, those, those are great stories. He was in the boat sitting down, right? And the crowd was standing up. And he, he was talking about the kingdom. He was talking about helping people decide whether they should join the kingdom or whether they should live their own lives their way. You and I always have this decision to make. You and I always have this back and forth in our mind where we're saying to ourselves, are we going to live our way? Are we going to try to figure out our plan and make our strategies for life? Or are we going to live God's way? Are we going to be a part of following God and being a part of God's kingdom? Or are we going to be a part of building our own kingdoms? We're constantly battling back and forth with this. People who care about following God are going to take these stories and say, what, what do they mean? What impact does this have on me? And what difference does it make? You see, that's exactly what happened in this section of the scripture. He told these stories. And after he had told these stories... Uh, the crowds went their own way. They listened to the stories and, and they went out and, and Jesus said that his speaking of these parables actually fulfilled prophecies that said, I'll open my mouth in parables. I will utter what's been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left and the crowds went into the house. The, the, the crowds left and he went into the house and the disciples followed him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds. What's it mean? And so in these next verses that we look at together today, we're going to see what this means and what difference it makes for you and for me. You see, the parable of the weeds goes on and is explained in Matthew 13, verse 37. He answered the disciples, the ones who wanted to understand. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons, are the sons of the kingdom. So in this story... The, the master, the one who's sowing the good seeds, the one who is in charge is the son of man. It's Jesus. It's God himself here on earth. God is representing himself as the master. The, the ground is the world. And God has a plan for this world. God, God's got 
some, some ideas of what's happening. He's created it for a purpose. He's instrumented. He's been instrumental in putting everything that we know together. And the seeds, the good seeds, are the sons of the kingdom. Those are the people that decide to be followers of God. All in with Jesus. Last week we said, if you have a, a, a soft heart, if you're open to the gospel, then that seed takes root and it transforms your life and followers of Jesus follow Jesus. That's who these seeds represent in this story. Now, here's this big idea from this verse I want us to look at for a second. What Jesus is saying and what the disciples need to understand is that God is the master and I am not. God is the master and I am not. Listen, I, want to, I put this, this idea of uh, us being in charge to a, a room full of teenagers. So I gathered about 150 middle schoolers and high schoolers. We got them together and we started asking them the questions like, what if you were in charge? And the first question we asked the teenagers is we said, what if you were in charge of your school? And these teenagers started raising their hands, and the first, first hand shot up, and the teenage boy in the back row said, if I was in charge of my school, I would say that wearing hats was okay. All kinds of hats, baseball hats, pretty hats, bandanas, hats are no longer against the rules. The rest of the teenagers erupted in applause, yeah, yeah, we want there to be no more hats. Another teenager raised their hand, you've got to know where this is going, right? And he banned all homework. The kids cheered again, no more homework. A third teacher, third teenager raised his hand, he said, I would make napping a gradable class. And you could sleep and get an A. Oh, yeah, napping, yeah, let's make napping a class a part of the curriculum. And the teenagers were quickly talking about what they would do if they were in charge of school. Second question is, what would you do if you were in charge of your house? What if your parents were no longer in charge, you were in charge? Another kid raises his hands up. She goes, no more chores. Oh, by now the teens are like standing. They're like, yeah, no more chores. No more chores. The second guy raises his hand and goes, I would take all my parents' money and I would use it for myself. Yes, more money, less chores. More money, less chores. All right, all right. You guys are excited about this. Now, teenager, what if we put you in charge of the world? Remember the hat guy? He shot his hand back up. What would you do, sir, if you were the king of the world? He said, I would make it there was, where there was no more speed limits. You could drive as fast as you want, as far as you want, as often as you want, and it's not against the rules. And all the kids are like, yeah, no more speed limits. <sighs> One very nice kid on the front row said that he would solve world hunger and that he would make there be no more war. And I thought that was very admirable. But let's, let's just imagine, let's think about what just happened. We just put teenagers in charge. And we asked them to make decisions. And here's what they decided. They decided that they were going to live in filthy houses where nobody cleaned anything up ever. Where it was going to get dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. But nope, chores have been banned. And so we're just going to live in this squalor. The dogs, the, the animals are going to die. At least the ones that you want. Because the dogs and the cats aren't going to feed themselves. But don't worry, the pet population will increase. Because there's going to be more hats that are coming into your home. Yes, you have all the money in the world. But nobody's doing the grocery shopping. So there's no more food happening. No one's buying the shampoo. So you're not washing your hair like you're supposed to. But don't worry about it. Because you made hats illegal. So no one's going to know how green to you are. And oh, by the way, the death rate on the highways has skyrocketed. 
There is a global problem of people dying as the highways have become now no longer safe. And it can be rooted back to the elimination of speed limits. You, teenager, have just become the king of the world. And you've killed more people than any war. Even though you wanted world peace. There's a reason we don't put teenagers in charge of the world. This experiment, this teenager test that we just went through, is a microcosm of how we often live our lives. You see, we often act like teenagers in that we think we're ready to be in charge before we're ready to be in charge. If there's a teenager test, this is like the adult paradigm. Like we're constantly wrestling, wrestling to gain a power and to gain authority. We're always trying to be the ones that are in charge of our plans, of our future. And we want to get to the place where the boss isn't calling the shots anymore, where the teacher's not calling the shots anymore. And we're all racing after kind of a false paradigm. And nobody's ever really totally in charge. You never get enough money to actually rule your own world. Eventually the money rules you. The government, there's always somebody higher than you or in a position of authority over you, even if you are the president of the world. And we try to make decisions that we're not qualified to make. And this is, this is so true in our, in our lives. How do, how do I know I'm qualified to be a parent? How do I know that I have the wisdom that it takes to actually shape and mold the young minds that have been put into my safety and protection? How do I know what to do with all my finances and all my money, right? Where's the best place to spend it? How, how's the best place to create a budget? How, how am I supposed to determine the best use of my time? Do I have all the information in the world to be able to make these decisions? The master of the story is God, and God's in charge. In this story, the servants came up with a suggestion, and they were suggesting that they would handle the problem their way, and God said, no, let the master lead. Just like for these teenagers where we say, no, you've got to let your principals and your teachers be in charge. They're in charge for a reason. You've got to let your parents be in charge. They're in charge for a reason, and you're not. You've got to let the, the actual uh, governing authorities that we're under be in charge. They're in charge for a reason, and it's actually good. What Jesus is reminding us is that God is in charge. God is the master, and we are not. And it's actually good. The verse goes on to lay out a little bit more of an explanation. He says this, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. So remember, the good seed was sown. The master had his master plan. Yet the devil came in and sowed the seeds for weeds among the good seeds. And he's describing this process, he's describing what happened, that the devil came in and planted weeds, he planted evil in this world. And, in the, and, and the masters told the servants, we're going to allow these things to grow up together, but at the end of the age, we're going to separate them at the harvest time, which is the end of the age. And who's going to do the separating? The, the angels are. We've talked about this before, but in this story, Jesus is again reminding us about the existence of the spirit realm. That the spirit realm is alive and well and that we face a spiritual battle that's happening all around us all the time. The devil exists. Evil is real. So are, so are angels and God. 
There's a spiritual component to everything that we're doing. And in this part of the story, he's saying that evil is in this world, but not for long. Have you ever thought about what's happening with evil? The, the problem of evil? Man, I, if you watch the TV screens for one evening of the world news, you will be introduced to evil in every moment of every time. Just, just yesterday, as I was watching the news, I saw there is a place in Africa where the slave trade is still alive and well. Africans are being sold to other Africans, and, and there are families that are selling their kids, their teenage boys, their, their preteen boys, uh, into slavery, and they get paid about $75, and these boys are put into slavery for three, four, or five years. They work in a very dangerous setting uh, where they're forced into child labor during that time in life-threatening conditions. That's evil. We've seen on the news all over this past week the young lady whose uh, boyfriend came home from a trip by himself and she, she never, uh, never explained her whereabouts. He disappears and they find her body back in Wisconsin. Now they're hunting for the boyfriend to try to get some answers. There she was, dead or dying, and he left and told nobody. That's evil. We celebrate the, recognize the 20-year anniversary since men chose to fly planes into the towers in New York City and into the Pentagon. That's evil. There is a sex trafficking trade that is active and is strong and is alive and well. It touches every town in our country. It touches every nation in our world. And it's evil. And evil exists. Jesus in this moment acknowledges evil and that it is in this world. And we say to ourselves, what's the plan? How do we get rid of all this evil? Let's get it done. We like the slaves come up to the master and we say, listen, if I was in charge, I would eliminate evil. If you asked me to be the king of the world right now, I would eliminate murders. I would eliminate slavery. I would destroy the sex trafficking. And I would just get rid of all of this evil. There would be no more terrorism. There would be no more hate. God, if you're God and if you're good, why are you allowing evil in this world? And here's what God is saying in this moment. Yes, evil is coexisting with good in this world. They are both present. But let me tell you, I have a plan and it's not going to be that way for long. Sometimes we feel like that in the problem of trying to solve the problem of evil, that we want God to eradicate it now And God is reminding us that he has a plan to eradicate evil, and he is working on it now. The plan, God's plan, which is better than ours, has to play out. Here's what God says is going to happen at the end of the age. So it will be at the end of the age, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all the causes of sin and all the lawbreakers, And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Of course, this is the heavy part. Of course, this is the part where where we have to recognize Jesus does teach on hell. He does talk about hell in eternal terms. The ongoing weeping and gnashing of teeth. He points back to other sections. He says, who's going to be there? Who's going to be punished? Well, The evil is going to be punished in hell. God is going to come to the point at the end of the age where he was going to separate the good from the evil. And he has a plan to do just that. You see, this problem of evil 
is the number one reason people say they don't believe in the God of the Bible. As we mentioned before, we've said if God is good and if God is all-powerful, why does he allow evil and suffering in this world? How come he doesn't just step in and fix the problem? And what God is saying in this story and in this moment that he has stepped in and that he is fixing the problem of evil in this world. That God is actively pursuing the destruction of evil. There is a preparation for the punishment of evil that will take place. Evildoers will get their just reward. And other people say, I don't want to believe in a God that teaches about hell and eternal fire and torment. And, and at, in this moment we say, but yes, you do. Because you are calling for the eradication of evil. You're calling, and rightfully so, for justice. We want evildoers to be punished. And God is saying, I will punish them. There is punishment in store for evil in this world. Now here's the kicker. Here's the thing that we all need to understand. That evil that is present in this world is also present inside of each and every one of us. That evil that we look at and we point our fingers out is also present inside of me. And God is saying, I am solving the problem of evil in this moment, and I'm solving it in the king, in the kingdom of God, in the person of Jesus. And my, my offer is to eradicate evil one day at a time and one heart at a time. How is God solving the problem of evil? The evil that we face and we see in this world and the evil that we face and we see in ourselves. If we're honest with ourselves, if we truly are honest with ourselves, we know the darkness that lurks inside of us. We know, we know the, the painful thoughts. We know the hurtful things. We express the anxiety and the depression and the discouragement that comes because of the evil that's inside of us. We know to the dark places and the dark corners that our minds go. The Bible says that yes, in this world you will have trouble. He also says that, that, that in every single one of us there is sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Why is evil in this world? Because evil is inside of all of us. We're each capable of this evil. That seed has been planted by the devil. But God is offering a revolution. Take heart. I have overcome this world. He has offered us a path. He has offered us hope where we can overcome the evil that's in this world and we can overcome the evil that's in our heart. We can stop following the kings and the kingdoms of this world and we can start following God as king. We can stop following the master plan that everyone else is laying out for us or our own master plan and we can start following the master plan that God has. You see, he's offering us salvation. He's offering us life eternal, a, a solution to the problem of evil in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're facing evil, if you're facing destruction, if you're looking at the grand problems of evil in this world, how do we deal with it? You see, we aren't going to solve the evil problem. We're not going to eradicate murder. We're not going to eradicate the dying, uh, uh, children dying uh, early. We're not going to eradicate disease in this world. We may pursue those things and pursue justice and pursue fairness, but since the beginning of time until the end of this age, evil will be present, so we get overwhelmed. What do we do? Hey, God says, listen, I want you just to take it one day at a time. Trust me for today. Trust me for your next step. 
Trust me for your next breath and do what it is I've asked you to do. And trust me enough to just take that step. Trust me enough to live in that one day. And in that one day, whatever you're facing, you today can trust God with it. Whether you're facing an overwhelming sense of dread and concern about the future, there's nothing you can do about that distant future, but you can trust God today. So take that breath. Breathe it in. Understand that God loves you and he's holding you and he's holding today in his hands. If you trust him today, if you trust him for your own salvation, he takes care of the future. If you trust him to give you wisdom, he directs your paths. If he trusts you to help battle this cancer, he will help you battle this cancer today. If If you need him to sleep through the night, you can trust him to sleep through this night. You see, God enters and helps us with the moments that we have in this day. And if we would just simply, simply trust him, we would be able to take care of today. And then we go and we do that tomorrow. We trust God in tomorrow. We trust God in whatever will happen tomorrow. And we follow his plan for tomorrow. And then we trust him the next day. And then we trust him the next day. And if you trust God day after day after day, step after step after step, before you know it, you get to an end of a life where you were filled with trusting God. Where the verse in Proverbs where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths, will be shown to be true. You see, when we trust God, we worship God. When we trust God, we follow God. When we trust God, we hope in God. When we trust God, we're able to forgive others. When we trust God, we give him our hearts and our lives and our future and our children and our money because we're trusting in God and none of those things. So where are you at today? Do you need to trust God for today? And the next way God handles evil in this world is one heart at a time. Sometimes we look at the overwhelming problem of the sex trade. We say to ourselves, how in the world can we solve that problem? We look at the overwhelming problem of war, of terrorism. We say, how can we solve that problem? Here's what God says. I will transform evil into good one heart at a time. And you may not be able to help everybody, but you can help somebody. You can help somebody know and follow Jesus. You can give somebody the hope and the love of Jesus. You can give them one meal. You can give them one hour. You can give them one dollar. And at one heart at a time, you can transfer transfer people's allegiance from evil to good. From following the plans of this world to following the king of this world, of, of the next world. And we ask all the time, who's your one? Who's that one person that you're praying for, that you're investing in, and that you would want to see Jesus radically transform? When you pray for that one, when you show God's love to that one, when you invite that one to Jesus, you are tackling the problem of evil of this world one heart at a time. Because you and I had had once had hearts filled with evil until Jesus came in and forgave us all of our unrighteousness and his blood covered that evil. His righteousness was credited to us the moment we accepted the personal gift of salvation. That's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God. You see, in Matthew chapter 31 and 33, Jesus is saying, listen, the kingdom of God is here. 
It is present. It has been planted like a tiny, tiny mustard seed. It was planted. Jesus, the, the, the God of this universe, came in on flesh. And he had a small, small following. In a small, small town, he was born in a, in a humble manger. He died on an old rugged cross, and yet he rose again from the dead, proving that he was who he said he was, and that he was the king of the world. And that seed was planted, and his apostles, the the 12 of them, followed by several hundred followers, began to see that seed grow. And that seed began to grow, right? That tiny mustard seed grew up, and it started to grow bigger and bigger, and it's in the process of growing. And more and more people are joining the kingdom of God. There are 100 million believers in China where it is against their religion, it's against the law for them to follow, know and follow Jesus. There has never been a, a greater explosion of salvation and revival in this world than what's happening right now in South America and in other parts of Africa. We're in South Korea where, where, where two-thirds of the people, if I have my numbers right, are now following Jesus. The, the kingdom of God is alive and well And it is growing and it is blooming. And someday at the end of this age, it will come to its fullness. And as the kingdom of God grows, evil is being stamped out in this world. But there will be a day where the judge of the universe will come back again. And he will remove the wheat from the tares. He will remove the weeds from the good fruit. And that day will be it. Time will be up. And so many of us in our plans say, God, come back now. And man, I totally get that sentiment. Of course, if you look at the book of Revelation, and it, as, the, as the Bible ends, it says, come, Lord, quickly come. But the moment God comes to stamp out evil is the moment hope for the lost is over. You see, maybe the reason Jesus has not come back yet, and that evil is still allowed to prosper in this world, is because there's somebody else that needs to come to Christ. And Jesus said, I'm not stamping out evil yet while there's still wheat to grow. So who's your one? One heart at a time. Have you asked Jesus to come into your life and to save you? Have you stamped out evil in your heart? And able to walk in His power by the power of the Spirit? Are you actively trusting him in this day will you trust him today for whatever you're facing and trust him tonight sleep well knowing that God has you in his hands and then trust him again tomorrow you see God's master plan punishes evil and works beauty in the end that's God's master plan and I thank God that he is in charge not me You see, when we look at the universe and we try to understand what's going on, we have a very, very limited point of view. You see, our point of view is represented by this frame. And we, unlike God, who is the master, we cannot see the big picture. We can only see our part of the picture, our experiences, our books that we read, our countries that we visited, our lifetimes, me from the late 1970s right now to the 2020s. And then I insert all of that and then I say, all right, God, I'm going to make the plans. I'm going to figure it out. If you're still trying to trust in yourself, if you're trying to figure out this world, if you're going to try to figure out faith on your own, you have a very, very limited expect, uh, limited, limited perspective. And a couple of weeks ago, we said, listen, 
God's power, God's perspective is better than any of our perspectives. And it's not, it's not me that's going to figure this out. But some of us say, all right, well, let's get a bunch of people together and let's zoom out. Let's combine our power and let's say, hey, we can come up with a plan together to figure out what the truth is and what needs to go on. And so we gather all the other servants and we broaden our perspective. And when we get everybody else around, we can see, oh, that's the big picture. That's actually a flower. And we can understand that flower. We can appreciate that flower. And then we think we've got it figured out because we went from the power of me to the power of we. And God is saying, no, no, I'm the master with the plant. You think that this is the big picture. This is just one flower. This is one flower in an ocean of millions of flowers. And I, God, know them all. I know their colors. I know where they grow. I know how long they're going to live. I know their purpose. I see the flowers that no one else sees. I see the flowers on the mountaintops and in the bottoms of the ocean. I see the flowers that have existed in ancient past and the flowers that will exist in the, in the future. I know every flower by name. I know every, where every petal falls. And if there are flowers on other planets and other parts of the galaxy, God knows them too. You see, God sees a greater picture than any of us would ever be able to even begin to comprehend. Yet so many of us are trying to live by the power of me. We're trying to live by the power of we. When all God says is live by the power of he. You see, he has the big picture. He has the master plan. And if we get offended by evil or if we get concerned about these things of this world, in those moments we are trying to be our own kings. Don't fall into the trap of being your master. Always run to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the galaxies of this world. Because his master plan, it punishes evil. And it works out beauty for his, for his kingdom in the end. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 43, it simply says this, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Do you understand? Do you understand? Today, if you understand that you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus, that you've never accepted him personally as your personal savior, we want to invite you into that relationship with him today. And realize that that giant gift of salvation is being offered to you. You can simply pray and accept Jesus and say, I'm ready to become a follower of Jesus. Say, say to God that you know you're a sinner, that you're sorry for your sin. That you believe Jesus came and died and rose again from the dead and you want to accept the free gift of salvation. If that's you today, if you've prayed to receive Jesus as your personal Savior, we'd love to know about that. Go to the gospel tab at branchlife.church for more information or to let us know that you've prayed that prayer. Are you ready to go from following the things of this world, trusting yourself, trusting, trusting anything but God, to going all in with Jesus? And maybe, maybe you're here to take your next step in faith. Maybe you realize that, that you've been trying to control too much, that there's so much going on and you've been losing sleep, you've been losing frustration, you, you've been hoping in things, but man, you need to put your trust back in Jesus. You thought you had the big picture, but... I'm just going to go with what God says, the creator of the universe. Maybe you're ready to take your next step in faith, whatever that may be. We'd love to hear from you today how this has encouraged you, how we can pray for you. And if you're ready to take steps closer to the church by becoming a member, by getting baptized, by joining a group or serving, we'd love to know all of those things. 
But we want to ask you to seriously consider what your step closer to Christ is today. And if you'd like us to pray for that, let us know on the cards. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue the conversation. And we wrap up our series in the Stories for Skeptics with one last story. And it'll be a story of life change. Have a great rest of your day.